Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. This episode is made possible by the innovative team behind Peak Fishing. I use a peak vise for my fly tying and can say with authenticity that these vices are designed for optimal functionality and efficiency, all while keeping a low price point for the consumer. I suppose this could be expected by a company whose sole designers are mechanical engineers who also fly fish. Look for a list of prices and dealers at www.peakfishing.com. Nicole Darlin started Exclusive Expeditions, a luxury destination company, in 2003. She went on to co-host the Fly Fisherman television series on the Sportsman Channel and has been featured in various other films and magazines. Today, she is the Vice President of Marketing and Brand Development for Edge Rods and North Fork Composites. To top it all off, she is also the mother of three beautiful little boys. In this episode of Anchored, I meet Nicole at her home in Washington to learn more about her and her life as a working mom in the industry. actually born in Seattle and brought home from the hospital to my parents' home in Bellevue, Washington, where they still live. So it's in your blood. You're a West Coaster through and through. I am. And your parents were together? Yes. What about siblings? I have an older and a younger brother. You're the middle kid. I am the Oreo filling. Okay. Is that what they call you? <laughs> no. <but laughs> You're delicious. I'm the glue. I'm the glue. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Yeah. No, yeah. I guess I, I would actually call you the glue. You're the mm-hmm. glue in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And we were just saying before we went live on the show that you are somebody everybody's curious about right now because you are really popular. <laughs> 
And then you decided Hi. to do, I don't know, do this crazy thing and have uh, three children mm-hmm. at one point twins, which of course we'll, we'll go into more mm-hmm. in just a bit. And now you're back. You're back in the house, baby. <laughs> With a vengeance. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. let's, let's just kind of timeline you and build you up to, okay. to today. So did your parents fish? Yes. My dad was super into fishing and hunting. He kind of gave up hunting when he had kids so that he could, you know, be home on weekends and whatnot. But basically I grew up here. We used to take our boat up to the San Juan Islands when I was a kid for as long as I can remember. And we would spend part of the summers up in Roche Harbor and in and around the islands, crabbing and fishing and all that stuff. Not fly fishing, but downriggers and buzz bombs and stuff like that. And, um, started doing that when I was really little. It wasn't like I was like, Oh, I gotta go fishing, but we did that. And I was in and around the water and my dad and I are super close and very similar. And yeah, that's kind of how that sort of started. Okay. What's the sorta? Well, we all did that. So I, I guess, you know, my brothers did it as much as I did, but they weren't super into it. And really I would say what I use as my marker of when things kind of turned to the, I really like this, uh, was when I was 13, I was in high school or going into high school, summer before my freshman year in high school. My dad took me to BC to Campbell River yes. to April, April Point Lodge. Nice. <laughs> and I still totally remember that. We have pictures from that and we fished with this really famous guide, Rob Bell Irving and yeah. um, used to rake bait out of the kelp and whatever. So I was up there for a few days with my dad. So that was my first solo fishing trip. Again, not fly fishing, but we were fishing for salmon and we had the best time. And Rob said to us, he's like, I love fishing with you guys because anything could happen Like because things happened. And I got back from that trip and my dad basically told my mom about it. And she was like, Michael, she just goes on that stuff to just spend time with you, you know? And he said, no girl gets up at four in the morning with a gleam in her eye and a smile on her face just to hang out with her dad. It's, it's not that. And you know, it's partly that, but it's not that. And the funny thing is, is that it wasn't that I was like, oh, I got to go into fishing now, or I got to just do this all the time. It's just that I really enjoyed it. And when I finished high school, see, everybody knew me as a singer growing up. If you asked anybody that I grew up with, and I grew up here, and so there are people still that live in this area that know me, and I used to do competitions, and I used to be a soloist, and I was in all these choirs, and did all this stuff in elite ways, and studied classically from the time I was in seventh grade through college. That's that's what I was going to be and do, was performing and singing and whatnot. But when I finished high school from here, and I went to University of Washington just across the bridge, which I also wasn't going to do because it was going to be high school repeated over there. I ended up not wanting to go across the states to where I was accepted because I just didn't like, it just didn't feel right. So I went to University of Washington and I decided that I was going to do sorority rush, not because I wanted to join a house, but I wanted to just kind of meet some people. And I thought, you know, I don't want to do that because I don't want to join because it's again, going to be high school repeated and just like start fresh. But the funny thing is when I look back and what's so ironic is that I went to school for Spanish and international studies, not for my music because I wanted to, whatever I said, I wanted to use my brain. I don't exactly what that means, but I didn't want to have a very specific undergraduate deal for music just in case I want to do something else later. And I wasn't going to rush, but I did to meet people. And the picture that you have to use, you have to submit a picture of yourself. Now, my mother was not in a sorority. I knew nothing about sorority life, nothing about rush. And the picture that I used was a picture from that Campbell River trip, which I have on my Insta account, whatever, because it's me 
in, you know, yellow rubber weather gear, a Patagonia, my first Patagonia pieces that I had when I was like in middle school and high school, uh, fuchsia cinchilla that my mom still wears my hair, you know, in a ponytail and mess and the largest grin on my face. And I have a fish on and I'm turned around looking at my dad who snapped that picture. And I think Rob Bellarving might be in that picture, but I used that picture for sorority rush. Now, fast forward to the next year, because I joined that house, and it was a different house than most of the girls from my, my high school joined. But when I was on the other side of rush, and I saw the pictures that people submit, they submit their senior pictures. I'm like, they're pretty, like, yeah. done. With <laughs> I use my picture from when I'm 13, fishing with this grin on my face. That was what I used. And the irony of that is so thick. Because it was meant. I mean, and that's kind of how my life functions. I didn't end up graduating with a degree in international studies in Spanish. I changed course halfway through and ended up with a BA in drama. With a concentration in Spanish and international studies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I don't know any of this. A lot of people don't. Okay, so did you did you fish in high school as such? No. Only when we would go for the summers in in Roche. And I can't remember another trip that I took with my dad really until, see, I got into the, the whole fly fishing thing and getting really more into this whole deal when my dad started to retire in the early nineties. So I graduated high school in, in 93 and my dad started retiring around that time. And he had been to South America in the Peace Corps in Peru in his 20s and had vowed when he had the time and money, he'd go back and live part of his life or do something there. So he started going back and doing these elaborate scouting missions. And my mom and I went down after I got into, I was in college and it was my first, I was went to college in 93. And that first November, December, my mom and I went down there and my dad was building. He was spending six months to a year down south Building, literally buying land and building our properties that we have down there. And what for? Was it like a financial investment? No, it was a, I uh, am retiring and I love to fish and I go to all these fishing lodges where they can't really accommodate my wife who doesn't like to fish so much. And they say that they can, but it's really just like, ah, we'll take care of you, but uh, not it's not really meant for a non-fisherman. Yeah. So he wanted to build a place. The first place that he built was our Yankee Way Lodge, which is outside of Puerto Chile, And... He built it as a place where anglers could go with their families or their significant other as a place that was meant for the angler and the non-angler. So we had all these different non-angling activities to do from, you know, walk soft to extreme, mountain biking, hiking, photographs, you know, go to see the penguins, do all kinds of stuff. And the angler could go and go fishing all day. And the two of them could have breakfast or have dinner together. And it was, they were both on the same trip with really nice accommodations, all that stuff. So at the time, I mean, we were in places that nobody was. Yeah. And so it was a hobby. There was no budget set. There was no whatever it was. He went to go do this. And he was funding all of this. Like, did you, was your dad a businessman? Yes. Okay. Got it. He had a company called Digital Systems International, did technology stuff. He had a lot of different things that he did, but he actually, well, see, I look at Chile and where I started going and what he built as something that was kind of a full circle moment for him, not just to go back to South America, but he went to South America in the first place to see if he was going to like urban planning. That's what he wanted to go to school for. So he built up some cities, moved thousands and thousands of people out of the mountains of Peru into these cities. It got them running water, all this stuff when he was in his twenties. And he had taken his fly rod with him at the time and went to Chile then. 
So he had fallen in love with Chile and the fishing there long ago in the 60s. And so when he went back, he had his own money and it was no investors. It was him there doing what he wanted to do. And I look at it as full circle moment because really that property is kind of like its own little city with all the buildings and the, all the whole deal. Anyway, I went down there and I didn't start fly fishing for the first couple trips, but I did cast my first fly rod on the beach in front of Yankee Way Lodge on the shores of Lago Janquiwe with a guy named Nick Palace, who at the time was like a, he was one of the guys that could cast the furthest right. in the competitions and all stuff. He was a friend. He worked at Kaufman's here oh, long, okay. long ago. Yeah. And that's kind of how my fishing, my fly fishing started. And I learned in a totally bass backwards way because that river was not walking weight. It was drifting in a freaking boat with sinking tips and streamers and stripping aggressively. Like the more aggressively you strip, you stripped, the more aggressively the trout would come. And so I learned in totally different kind of circumstances all the way around. And that is really how all of that started. It was not my career at that time, but I was in and among this industry very early. Right. I was literally like 19 years old, 18 years old. Because how old are you now? I know that's rude. No, it's but. fine. I'm proud of my age. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I'm 41. I'll be 42 this year. I got, I started my own business in this industry when I was 26, but I've been in and around it since I was a freshman in college. And so when people look at me and don't know who I am or where I've been or whatever, I was in this long before I was in this. I don't have anything to hide about any part of my story. So I will tell anybody that my fly fishing career was very privileged in so much as that I was very guided. I didn't have to you know, pack up all my stuff by myself, go out as a female by myself somewhere on Eastern Washington and figure out everything out. I was super privileged. And my fly fishing at the time was for the most part confined to, I would go to Chile and I would go fishing. We ended up, we had a couple lodges down there and some of the people who guided for us, Eric Newfeld, this guy, um, Eric Van Doren, who lives around here, Chris Price, there were uh, Chris Anderson, all these guys I knew long, long, long ago. And so I met all these guys before I had my own business, but I was down there and I've always had an eye for design. I've always had certain aptitudes that I love and, and I got to go around with my dad and pick out you know, help pick out the doors and help pick out just different stuff at that time of my life. And I was in college and I just kept going down there and I'd come back here to the States and I was so enthusiastic. Now there was no social media. There was not any of the stuff that's happening today. And it's why nobody knows who the hell I am. (laughs) But, um, I would come back here so enthusiastic and people would want to book trips. And at the time I was going to school and then I finished out college and again, singer songwriter, I started playing the piano. Long story short, I started writing a bunch of music and my dad said to me at the time, you know, why don't you record some of that stuff? So regardless of what you do, since I wasn't so sure I wanted to pursue that career, something always held me back from pursuing that career and just doing entertainment. And there are some personal things in my life that I can say on here. Like I've been in recovery at this point for almost 21 years of my life, clean and sober. And I did that before my senior year in college and happy to share that with people. It freaked me out a bit to go into the music world because I just didn't know when I was young and I was newly that way. And I just, it didn't feel right. So my dad said, why don't you record some of your music Nobody can ever take it away from you, regardless of what you do. If it's just for your friends and family, cool. But it's it's captured, it's done. And I'm a finisher. I don't quit. I like to complete things. 
And doesn't mean I am not a multitasker and have 8 million projects going at the same time, because I do, but I like to complete things. So I literally produced, recorded an entire album called Destination Unknown. It was some of my music. It was by far not all of my music. 15 tracks. I did this deal. I um, hired all the musicians, did all of that in about, oh, like 1999. And then I didn't want to pursue it. And literally that is what launched my, I'm going to be in this industry because my dad was like, well, why don't you book trips to our places? You love them. You're passionate about it. You go every year. You spend a lot of time. Everybody always wants to book trips. You know everything about those places. And I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> and true story, I came up with the name for my company, which was Exclusive Expeditions. I didn't want to pigeonhole it into being just a South American or just a fishing business or whatever. I wanted to leave it open so that it could be more inclusive as opposed to very exclusive in terms of and limited. And I went to my first trade show in Chicago. It was an adventure travel show. And I literally had this mental block of like, until I had my business cards that had my name of my company and my name, I didn't feel legit. So that show, I was legit. I had my cards and I was ready and I, and I started. And that was in 2003, January of 2003, I started legitimately into this realm with my own premium brand company was never a guide, never was a do-it-yourselfer. I do. I will say this flat out. You're like a super badass. You know all the history, like you tie flies, you guided, like you run boats, all this. That is not me. And it's not that I wear it as a badge of honor. I wear it as a badge of truth, which is I don't tie my own flies. Have I? Yes, I have. I could give a crap. I don't have time for it. It's not my thing. Maybe one day, because I'm a never say never kind of girl, Maybe one day I will do that and I will enjoy it or I will do it a little bit just because. But I don't tie my own flies. I don't mind being guided. I don't mind being told exactly what I need to take on a trip, what I need for my lines. I don't care if somebody ties all my stuff for me. I really don't care because guess what? I love to fish. Yeah. <laughs> I love to fish. I am not so crazy that I'm like, and I got to spend the night on the beach and I got to go out in the morning and I'm going to fish until I don't do that. I could give a crap. I have fished for 18 hours out of a 24 hour cycle on the Gala river. Yeah. Okay. I've done it. I do that. I love that. That's fine. I don't have to do that every time I go fishing. Hell no. And as you get older too, like, the, I, and I say that to people all the time. I'm like, dude, I don't need to fish for 12 hours anymore. I have done those days. Exactly. I'm tired. Yeah. I want to fish when I think I'm going to, when the bite's on or when I've got some energy. And you know what? <laughs> Sometimes I just want to sleep on the beach. Exactly. Or watch somebody okay. else do it. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know what? In, in doing the show, I found that that is a common denominator with all of my guests who have been fishing for a long time. Everybody, after they've put in their time, most of them, the majority of them, after they've put in their time, they're quite content just to appreciate the experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean they need to be fishing. And, tie, and not tying your own flies doesn't mean shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I say? Here's what I say. Because it's... I support those people who do yeah. because there are some incredible, incredible tires. And even the ones that come over from Kenya, like I know how to pick really good flies because <laughs> I know how to catch fish and I have a really good instinct and intuition about what's going to work where. And that's the deal. And if I listen and I pay attention to who's done this better than me, I learn. I don't do this as a, I am the best and I cast the best. I am not. 
ever going to be the world's finest caster, the world's best fisherman. It's not why I do it. Yeah, you don't pretend to. Either. I don't do yeah. it. I don't, I'm not in competition with anybody. I don't care. And I think some of the things that I think are the most important pieces probably of my story for people to know who I am or how I frame even how I am in this industry or who I am in this industry or just in general. It's just me. I'm me. Right. You're April Vokey and you have your whole deal and your story and you have one story. I'm Nicole Darland and I have one story. I can't re I can't go back and change my history, my past. Nobody can. No. It's who I am. And what I was at the time that I entered this deal at the age of 26 was a female who cared about my parents. I still do. You want to call me vain? I could give a crap. I'll tell me, tell you I'm vain. I don't care. I care how I look. I like to wear makeup. I like to wear jeans that fit and are designer jeans. I like to wear high heels. I like to carry myself as a woman. I can hang out with the boys. I can pee in the woods. I don't care. I will sleep under the stars or in a, in a, listen, we can talk about Bolivia in a bit, but like when I went there, there was subflooring down. There were more bugs hitting me and landing on me in the night and throughout the night in that place. I can do all that. And I have Zero problem with that. So here's the deal. When I was 26 years old, it was like Rachel Anderson. I laugh about this. It was like Rachel, Amy Hazel, Kathy Beck, myself. I don't know. Maybe like a couple other people. Like, hi, that's who the girls, the women, the girl. I'm not Amy. Amy's a freaking badass, like spay caster, like loud mouth, like hilarious, rad, you know, whatever. Rachel, tiny little, amazing caster, like incredible instructor, gung-ho enthused. Like I'm myself. We are all ourselves. And I never tried to be anybody else. I'm just me. And I knew that my role in this industry at that time, I could see what my role was. And it was this. I'm representing, I'm not working for anybody. I'm representing premium brand. I am representing properties that my family owns, but who cares? They are properties to start out with that accommodate anglers and non-anglers, which means it's not that women are going to come to this sport in droves. Yes, it's a really, we can all sit here and sing kumbaya and say, oh, the women, the sector of the women is ruined the fastest and it's great. I'm sorry, (laughs) but fly fishing is a, I said this, is like a freckle on a butt of a, like of a giant. Sorry, ladies, but it's rad that you're doing it. But that doesn't mean there's like gazillions and millions of women joining the sport. I'm sorry. That's not how it happens. You either grew up doing it and you can't go back again and redo your past. Or there are definitely women coming to the sport. That's awesome. But like 50 women a month or whatever, that's not a massively growing sport. There's like a gajillion people in fishing in general. This is fly fishing and it's tiny. So here's the thing. If, if I'm representing properties that anglers go to and can take their wives who don't want to go to the bathroom in the woods, they don't think it's quaint to have maybe running water or maybe electricity. They want to go someplace where they can be taken care of. Maybe they'll go and enjoy watching their husband fish or their boyfriend fish. Maybe they will try it. Maybe they will enjoy it. If I could be that woman who wasn't tying flies and all about, oh, you got it. It's like, and I could just be me tell you, here's a place you could go. It's incredibly beautiful. You may enjoy fishing. You may not. You might want to try it. And I could be wearing designer jeans and, you know, not with low cut shirts and hanging all my stuff out, like literally selling the fishing and the packages and whatever, and be a pretty face and a nice person with a brain. I was going to have a role that was the, the field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. And it was if I can be that person. And even if a woman is not walking through this fly fishing show, and meeting me, her boyfriend, her husband, her son will see me as a beacon to say, if that woman can do it, my mom, my sister, my girlfriend could see this woman and say, if she can do it, 
I could do it. If that woman could like it, maybe I could too. If that woman could go, maybe I could go too. I never really thought about that because you are, you're really relatable. And I remember back then, I mean, it, there was no social media. I mean, nowadays you just hashtag, what's the stupid hashtag? Girls who fly mm-hmm. fish or yeah. whatever it is. So you can find them now. But back then, it's so funny because you listen to me and Adrian when we were talking, when we were doing our show and we're like, back then it was Hannah and me and her and Katerian. Like, you're so limited to your region. Oh. And when I look at the girls in your region, you're, you're right. There was no one. You, well, they, like, they were there, but they, you guys are all so different. Exactly. Like, I love, obviously, Amy's been a guest on the show. She's one of my favorite people on the face of the planet, mm-hmm. but Amy is a force, (laughs) right? Like I wouldn't look at Amy, Amy, I love you sister, (laughs) but I don't look at Amy and go, Amy, you are like every regular woman. (laughs) I just don't. She's a freaking, she's a, she's a freaking nature. She She is. is, She scares me in the most beautiful way possible. I love her. If I was a man, I'd totally, I'd marry her, but you're relatable. Like to me, I, I definitely, if I were walking through a show, I, I would relate to you. Yeah. So that's the thing is that I didn't set out to be some, I'm going to be a fly fishing superstar. That is like trying, I will be so politically incorrect, but that is like trying to be the the world's tallest midget. I'm sorry, <laughs> but seriously, or small person, how are you? But li- really like a fly fishing, who is a fly fishing superstar? I'm sorry, but I love hi. when people call celebrity Here's the thing. fly fishing. Yeah. Ugh. Right. So I get hired to go around as a celebrity speaker, but like what? whatever. And so it's been a really interesting evolution because so, so here's the thing. People don't even know how you and I actually met Mm. or how we even have a relationship. And so I, this is like a good segue to that. I think is that, you know, I did all that stuff and by all that stuff, let's just list a few things that I did. So I, yeah, timeline me from here because you start exclusive. So I started exclusive in 2003. Yeah. Now, Let's just remember that I grew up on stage performing and whatever. I'm actually very shy and people don't realize that because of some of the stuff that I do or that I present stuff and whatever. I'm really actually very shy. I never really socialized and I still kind of don't in the fishing community stuff. I really kind of keep to myself for various reasons and I'm quite private for the most part about a lot of stuff and I just do my job and and whatever. So I went around and presented at a lot of fly clubs because at that time I was a specialist in South America and I still am, but not to the extent that I was. Nobody knew South America at that time, but I figured it out. I have teams in Chile, Argentina, Peru, and Brazil. I know how to move around those countries in ways that other people didn't and still kind of don't. But at that time you couldn't look up on the internet and you still kind of can't to figure out how to do it. I know how to do it and I have teams there. And so that is how I made my niche. I went around, would speak at fly clubs in different places and do circuits of that stuff. And there wasn't social media. So it wasn't like, I'm going to be here. And, you know, it was like bulk emails that you sent out to tell people. I mean, come on. Um, you didn't have the megaphone and pedestal that you have now with social media. So I did that stuff. Things people don't know. I was the first woman to actually present at the New York Anglers Club, which is an all-male club. And I did that. I don't even know what year that was. It was middle 2000s. And I've done it twice. And both times I got, I was walked around and told why women weren't allowed in the club and that, oh, recently they could come and have lunch and whatever. And guess what? Here's who I am. I really don't have a chip on my shoulder about anything that's all male or women aren't allowed or whatever. It doesn't bother me. I knew that when I joined this industry, I was joining a huge boys club. I am very pro woman and that's fine. However, I am also, I could give a crap. I just do what I do. And I knew that there were going to be things that were going to be harder for me to prove. That's fine. I am always up for a challenge because I know who I am. I know what I 
I can do and actions speak. And so I can't tell you how many times I would stand in my booth with the guy that worked with me at that time who knew less than half of what I knew about my family's places and about the techniques and about any of that stuff. And I would literally stand in my booth and talk about our places and I would get patted on the shoulder and they would go, that's nice, honey. And then they'd turn to him and they'd take notes and write it down and take like hanging on every word. And I would just sit there and laugh and smile and just shrug my shoulders and say whatever. And I earned my stripes because of how and what I did. So I presented, I got hired to do the TV series, um, Fly Fisherman. When How'd it, they find you on that? John Barrett had come down and filmed Fly Fishing the World several times in Chile at our places and then Nomads of the Seas. And that was another operation I, I did. I, you know, I, my clients wanted to go to equal caliber places of ours. And so I had this portfolio of places that I chose, you know, the best places I felt and in South America. And at the time that was mostly Chile and Argentina for fishing. And, um, anyway, uh, I got a phone call in 2009 that or an email from a producer at Barrett, then Barrett Productions that had literally just been acquired by Intermedia Outdoors. Was I interested in potentially, you know, hosting or somebody wanted me, somebody wanted me to host a show. And I was like, eh, okay. So I, I called back and they said, you know, we want you to come in if you're interested in audition for the show, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, I did. And it was that they had wanted, they, there were a few other gals that they had contacted and then a few guys, and it was to co-host the show, like the magazine fly fisherman. It was the TV series fly fisherman. It was an instructional series. I remember watching this, watching this all go down and watching <laughs> you like a hawk. I was like, where's this going to go? Uh-huh. What's she doing? And I've been she? on magazine covers and I've been yeah. inside of lots of magazines covers, and all yeah. this stuff. And I was fortunate because again, like meant to be, I, I, that was all due to my buddy, Jeff Edvalds, who's one of the most talented photographers, um, and did some of the very first underwater stuff and just a really creative genius guy. And I was fortunate. He's part of our family essentially. And I, I would go around and travel with him and he basically got me into the public eye and I know how to hold fish and do whatever. I'm good in front of a camera. Everybody's got their aptitudes. You can be an insanely amazing angler and suck in front of the camera or you can't put two words together in front of a camera because you're like, uh, the yeah. light, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, everything has to go together. So you can be kind of a crummier angler and great in front of a camera and you might be the perfect person. I'm not saying I'm a crummy angler, but you know, at the end of the day, everything has to work. And those were part of my aptitudes. Anyway, I went to Missoula and I auditioned and I had a private chat with John Barrett at the time. And he said, I want you to do this show because I feel like it's a stepping stone for you to have your own show. I think you should have your own show. And, you know, I really want you to do this. So when I met Jed Feeblecorn, who I love to pieces, one of the most incredible dudes, we just hit it off from the beginning. We were the two people they really wanted in the first place. And it was perfect. So we did that show for two seasons and, and I loved it. Again, you know, the drill, like you're always pretty much the only gal. I always have my own accommodation, my own, you know, whatever. I did my, I went to sleep. They did whatever they did, whatever. Did my job. And so here's the deal is that all these things were happening in my career and no, and this will circle back to how you and I met and start talking, but all the things in my career were coming together and it was rising quickly and like you're an overnight success after 10 years of hard work, but everything was coming together. And I had been married and divorced and um, had no kids. And I was thinking I never wanted to get married again. And it didn't was he a fisherman? Yeah. 
and he worked with me. I know Steve Apple. Yeah. And were you married? You were married to his brother? Yeah. To his brother, Jason. Okay. So when I got into this industry, he was in the tech world. We met and I actually met him when my parents were both down in Chile. I used to take care of their affairs essentially when they were in Chile and I lived at their house after college for a good year or two. And I met him. I got set up on a blind date with him and he was in the tech world. I started my business after we got married, but he was a fly fisherman and so was Steve and Steve was guiding on the Kasilov actually in Alaska. And we went and fished with him up there and did a bunch of stuff. And so I started my company and Jason would come and hang out in the booth with me and help me sell. But he had his own business and, or his own job that he had in the tech. And, uh, after, I don't know, a year or two or something of exclusive, he left the tech world and came and worked with me. So let's just be really clear. I didn't get into this because of my dad, or I didn't get into this because of a husband or a boyfriend or whatever. I loved to fish. I had the stepping stone of, well, my family has lodges, but my business was my business. I started it. And it was to start sending people to my family's properties, which is a completely separate business. And then I grew my business to send people to other places that my family did not own. I made my own way in terms of finding operators who I wanted my clients to arrive in country with and be taken care of with, et cetera. So I did all that. This isn't like the boy helped me do it. And it, that's not a, you know, a, Oh, cause I'm so cool. It's just that I think that it's very, it gets very twisted around and it's people nice to just set the records. Yeah. That I did this. This wasn't boys got me into it and I, you know, hit the ground running. Yeah, Cause I the dis- rumors fly. Mm. I mean, we all have rumors about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think people, just people yeah, no. think I'm a retired stripper. Like, well, you are right. Yeah. Pole dancer. hundred yeah, percent. Totally. But no, like it all, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. all these rumors and, and I know that that was something I wanted you to be able to squash. Oh here. yeah. Cause even when I first heard of you, I thought that it was your guys's business. And I thought when you guys divorced that you took his business. No, I kept I mine. I never knew it was, I mean, I know yeah. now, obviously we're friends, yeah. so I know now, but at the time I didn't know it was yours and that he came to work for you. I know. Isn't that funny how rumors are funny? Silly. Oh, it's so harsh. Yeah. So harsh. But, but I wanted yeah. to squash that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, I kept my business and I did the show and the show actually started taking more time and energy than my business. But as I say, my career, I got contacted by this photographer. I can't remember his name right now, who was doing a book called Alpha Female. And there was a series of things that happened and he, he was like, I'm doing this photography book and it's about women who um, are doing things that typically men do and they're at the top of their game or they're making a mark and they're doing stuff. And he's like, I have like Beyonce's drummer and I have Bonnie Raid and I, whatever. And he's listening to all these people. I'm like, why is this guy contacting me right now? <laughs> and I'm listening and he's like, and I, and I have to put you in this book. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm down. And I'm thinking to myself, Really? That caliber. Okay, cool. Whatever. So there was that. And I got off the phone with that guy. And as I say, there were a few things that kind of changed probably the trajectory of how my career went and just the things that happened and created me being a mom and all those things because I had been married and divorced and whatever. Divorce sucks. And if you've been divorced, it's like the worst thing, even if you're the one that wants it, it's horrifying. And no kids. So at this point, and I had no kids. Yeah. And, and you're young. Yeah. And I was, it was like 30, 31. And that guy called and I got off the phone. I was like, that is so awesome. But I'm looking around my house and I'm thinking, God, I, that's like a super honor to me, but there was something about it. And again, for me, everybody's got their own deal. For me, there was something very empty about that because I felt like, wow, um, I, 
have all these amazing things happening and I come home to my house, like to my cats. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody to share this with. I don't have anybody to pass this on to because obviously I've got something. I don't have it. There was something less than fulfilling about it for me. Yes. No. And, and, and I am totally going to just hop in here. Yeah. And that's why you're so relatable to me. Like it, that's what happens is one day you look at it and you go, okay, I've got, I make a good living and I am traveling the world and being paid exactly. to travel. Exactly. But there's got to be something more. Like it's this. I didn't want to be, I literally had this thought. I don't want to be that chick who literally everybody's like, she is so cool. She has the coolest life. She whatever. And they all hang out and then they all go home to their families and I'm like crickets in my house. <laughs> like, wow. That's awesome. Yes. You know, and I, and again, some and people may be okay. Chick, yeah. Once like, you've been a chick who goes home to crickets cause we've both yeah, been that chick. Yeah. It's lonely as it is. hell, man. It is. Yeah. And so, and I thought to myself, okay, so that I had a couple of other things that I had a, tr- uh, and again, it had to do with fishing. I got invited to go down. I'd never done spring or salmon fishing on the Columbia. Everybody's like, your home waters, your home waters. I do not local fish. I know it's crazy. That's the other like bass backwards thing. My local waters were like South America, even though I'm from Bellevue, because I'd come home and I was working my ass off here. And then I'd go fish down there. Or, you know, maybe I'd go to Alaska or I'd take some summer trip with my dad or my then, you know, husband at that time or what. I mean, I did that stuff, but it wasn't like I was like every weekend, weekend work. That wasn't me. So anyway, there were a couple things that happened. My mom went on this day road trip with me. And and if you knew my mom and the fact that she went on this trip so that she could drive down to Oregon so I could go fish in the morning for Springer Chinook. And if you've never had Springer salmon from the Columbia, it is the most incredible salmon. So I went with this guy, Hotshot Guides, Eli, and I drove down there with my mom and she stayed in the motel while I went and fished. And Basically, I tell that story because what that day was or what that realization was for me was I called her up to see if she would do that drive with me. And I was totally thinking she was going to be like, nah. And she said, yeah, I would love to. And I was like, what? And the thought that I had was, see, that's what being a mom is. There's no way she would have done that for anybody else. That is not something that is quote unquote fun for Myrna Darlin. That is not fun. But she did that because I'm her daughter. And she wanted to spend that time with me and do that because she knew that I would enjoy doing that. And so that was one of my ahas, the getting off the phone with that book guy. And I should look up his name, give him credit for that. But there was that. And then there was this other one thing, whatever. You can look at my stuff. I'm a conservative, who cares? Um, or libertarian or whatever, but I was listening to, um, a conservative radio show host one day and I was driving along and he was saying, you know, there are all these women who are very successful. CEOs and high powered women and they are brilliant and they are so bright and they are not having babies and they are getting to a point where literally it is past the point where they could have babies and they're freaking regretful. So there was that and it was these really powerful bright women are not reproducing and who's reproducing. And I know this is like getting on like onto this topic of who the hell are you? But these are the things that go through Nicole Darling's okay, mind. I am not a conservative. And those are the things that were going <laughs> through my mind. And it's really mm-hmm. scary because you don't want to let go of your, not power. Mm-hmm. I hate the word power, no. but you don't want to let go of whatever control you have over this vision that you have. Cause you're like, I, okay, let's do the math. I'm changing lives. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm inspiring people. I'm mentoring children. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these great things. If I have my own child, am I then letting down all those thousands or hundreds or even five people? What's the trade-off? Like it's a constant battle, but 
I will be honest with you and I won't throw names out, but I have not spoke to a single woman over 45 in fly fishing specifically, including our own friends who has not looked me in the eye and said to me, I regret not having children. Right. And I didn't want to be that woman. And it sounds like you didn't either. No. Well, here's the thing is that success is defined by, I mean, everybody has to have their definition of success and what that means. And I have no problem with trying to earn a lot of money because I think money is freedom and power and you get to help a lot of people and do and have freedoms that you have. So that's very important to me. And also you need that, you know, to raise your children, et cetera. But for me, it is a very empty thought to think about earning a bunch of money or doing all this stuff. And then, as I say, not sharing it or passing it. And I felt when I heard that there were like these three things that had happened. And those were a couple of them. It was like, I felt like it was my duty to have children. And also it was really important that I did because for whatever that reason is in me, and I can't speak for anybody but me because I can only be me, it felt less than to be accomplishing what I was accomplishing and watching the things fall into place because my life, my, you know, for as many things that have happened in my life that I could say are seriously, that just happened. My dad said to me one day, he's like, you live such a charmed life. And it is true. When I tell you that I've been sober for almost 21 years, that's not a charmed life. That's by choice. But that means my life was a piece of poop at that time. And I had to make some choices or not. And I chose to. And I continue on that path. There, I've been divorced. I've been divorced two times. I have three small children right now. I have twins who are six and a half and Wyatt, my, who's three. I got divorced a second time when Wyatt was, or decided that before he was one year old. And see, I say that because it's my story and that's just the facts. And the deal is, is for a woman like me who was at the time under 40, had three kids under the age of five and um, had already been divorced once to decide to do that again is not a small choice. It's terrifying, Mm -hmm. but it was something that I had to do. Coming up, Nicole and I continue our conversation about life as a working parent and her involvement with edge rods. Also a quick announcement found only here for my valued listeners for all the hours you've committed to me. I couldn't think of a better audience to share this with again, just a quick thanks to peak fishing for all of their support and for making this episode possible. Peak is a small company who cares about their customers and their product leads the way as far as proving that they have the consumer's best interest at heart. Check them out at www.peakfishing.com. I got pregnant with my twins while I was filming Fly Fisherman. And I had said to their dad, you know, I've decided I do want to actually get married and I do want to have kids. And I think I want to do that with you. But if you don't, I'm, you know, I think I was like 34 at the time. And, and I said, and if you don't, I'm going to have to, I love you, but I'm going to have to move on because I don't want to just have kids to have them. And I want to know the guy for more than five minutes. And, you know, we decided we would do this. Uh, we didn't have a timeline and I literally got pregnant. I found out, uh, right after I started filming season two of Fly Fisherman, um, right after that shoot that I was pregnant, I didn't tell a soul. Well, I mean, obviously their dad knew and whatever, but I did not tell anybody that I was doing that show with until my first trimester was up and we just, we were on a hiatus. We got back together to shoot and I told them and we had just been okayed for season three. And I was like, okay, it's cool because I still want to do this. I always have my own accommodation. My mom will come along. It's no big deal. You know, blah, blah, blah. I traveled my whole life and I knew actually if it was one baby, it was going to actually be super manageable to do that. 
And I found out halfway through my pregnancy that it wasn't one baby, that it was two. And I was going to have twins. And literally, it was like the cartoons where you hear the brakes screeching on the car. <laughs> and like, everything is like, comes to a standstill where you're like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? It was April 2nd. We looked at each other at the ultrasound. That was my first ultrasound. We looked at each other. We're like, are you kidding? To the lady. And she, she was the most stern person. She's like, we don't, we don't joke about stuff like that. And we're like, Oh my freaking God. Twins. Okay, cool. So that changes my whole freaking life at the moment. So I kept filming and that changed really everything at that time because I had certain goals also and he did, we did as parents about like nursing and just the whole thing. I carried those babies past 40 weeks. I literally filmed my show pregnant. So if you go back and you see that, like I filmed till I was like five or six months pregnant with twins. Did you try to hide it? No. No, I looked fat though for part of like the God pregnancy is so awkward. Especially on, <laughs> it's so awkward. It's like, I look fat. I don't look pregnant. I just look fat. chubby. By the time that I air this, it'll be out there that I'm mm-hmm. pregnant, yep. it, which is exciting. But I've got all these, like you, I've got all this crazy scheduling mm-hmm. in the next six months. And I'm like, well, shit, am I going to like <laughs> wear a puffy jacket? <laughs> It, I am looking fat. Like, had, I wish uh, I, like, you almost wish you had a shirt that said, I swear. I'm pregnant. I know. I'm not I'm fat. Exactly. But no. now you're also thinking like, how am I going to eat what I need to eat? And could I get poisoning there? Or should I cancel that trip? Or with me, it's like, I've had to cancel trips because of Zika. Mm-hmm. Like everything just, it just changes overnight, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So to hit, get hit with two, oh, yeah. to get hit with twins for you, yeah. you must have just been absolutely well, floored. Yeah. But the thing is too, is like, I remember when I found out I was pregnant and granted, as I say, like all these things in my career were clicking and it was going and, and I never looked at my position as I got to one up this person and I got to be better than this person. I never, I never did that. I just had so many things clicking into place and <sighs> And I remember again, you know, when I saw the thing and it said pregnant, my eyes welled up and then the tears just went right, sunk right back in. And I just thought this is the most important thing. Now I was 34. Okay. So you don't like research twins. I didn't have twins in my family. You don't research all this stuff before I didn't before you're pregnant or whatever. But then as I say, 20 weeks, halfway through finding out it was twins, that's just a really large game changer because that's not, Oh, I'll just travel with them. So this is a true story. I had my twins. You completed season three though. No, just two. We didn't end up doing season three. It got put on hiatus and like, <gasps> okay, so it did get put on hold. Yeah. By and your I, choice or? No, 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 no. Was it because you were pregnant? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <sighs> Ooh, anyway. That freaks me out. You're scaring me. No, Nicole. don't get scared because it's okay. Cause look at where I am now. And I can't even say exactly what happened because at the end of the day, Intermedia Outdoors, you know, went in directions that they needed to for their business. And I can't even say what those are because as soon as I stepped out, Jed got another position and he's so awesome. He, he took over for a TU production deal and you know, whatever. And we've always said like, I would do something with him again in a heartbeat. But at that time, two babies was not an adequate deal to go on the road, whatever. So when I had them, I remember sitting, I was sitting here where we're sitting in the living room, I was in my chair and a phone call came in from the Oprah Winfrey show. And they asked me if I'd be interested. Now my kids were, the Hirsch and Jake were literally three weeks old. I was nursing them. And this phone call came in from the Oprah Winfrey show. And they said, we were wondering if you would be interested in, um, 
Oprah's got these two fans that have always wanted to learn how to fly fish. And we want to know if you were interested in teaching them how to fly fish and um, whatever. And I'm sitting there in my freaking nightgown, my nursing boobs, like whatever. And I'm literally on the phone with the Oprah Winfrey show. And I'm looking at all this and I'm like, is this, are, are we, are we kidding? Like timing seriously. And I was like, yeah. Okay. So tell me more about this. And they said, well, these two people, they want to, they've always wanted to learn how to fly fish. And we couldn't not ask you in our search for who exactly we want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so um, I definitely can't say no to you, but I just need you to know I literally just had twins three weeks ago. When would this be? You know, and they're like in a couple weeks or whatever it was. And I was like, I, I'm, I can't say no to this. So I'll figure it out. That's me. It's like, I'll figure it out. I, I cannot say no to something. Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, are you effing kidding me? I get this call right now. And anyway, long story short, it came down to Brian and Jenny who en- ended up doing That's the right. show and yeah. it was not for two fans. It was for Gail and Oprah and it was in Yosemite and, and it came down to those two and myself and they chose the other two. And the fact of the matter is it would have been like impossible for me to do it, but I never said I wouldn't do it or I wouldn't be able to figure it out. You know? And I, and I thought to myself, you know, that call came because it's going to be okay. And I, and I've told this story before or I've written about it and, and I, and I tell it often. And so you should hear it. And that is again, because I think I've told you this before, but I, um, the Sandy River Spayclaves coming up in, in May and I had done demos there. And that's actually the first time that we actually met in person. That's right. And I still haven't said how we actually met, but we, we will do that. That's the first time we met in person. And I was pregnant and I was sitting at the table with Rachel Andres and Jerry Swanson and Jerry and I had really not had two like coherent words together ever really until that moment. And we were sitting there and I said, I'm just really scared to, to leave. And, and he looked at me and it was probably one of the more important conversations that I've ever had. Just not that he knew it at the time or that, you know, whatever, but he just, I said, I'm scared to leave because it's taken me so long to be legit and it's taken so much. And girl, I mean, here's the thing. I am so cool with there being all these Instagram girls and fly fishermen and all these women that are in it, no matter how long they stay or don't, I don't care if they didn't grow up doing it. They can't go back and start growing up doing it. That's their, whatever they're doing it. That was my, if the, if you build it, they will come. They're doing it. And social media has given them a venue and an avenue to, to be and do what they're doing. And criminy sake, it's great. They can buy my rods and buy our gear and be in it and do the things that I dreamed of them doing in the early 2000s and the late 1990s and mid 1990s, for goodness sakes. They're doing it. How could I ever sit here and be pissed or jealous or what? They're doing it. I love it. I love it. And there's space on the spectrum from all those people, from the girls in bikinis with big boobs and whatever to the, to the, you know, super tomboy women girl, you know, whatever. There's room on the spectrum, in my opinion, for everybody. And so here I was sitting at this table with Jerry and I'm like, I, I'm scared to leave because it's taken so much to get where I am. It's not the same now. It's still not, you know, whatever. There's still room to grow and go in terms of how things go for women. But he said to me, he's like, so calmly. He's like, Nicole, nobody's going to forget who you are. You've proven yourself. You don't have to prove yourself again. You've already done it. He's like, go be a mom. That is the most important thing. And he told me some stories about his kids and like fly rods he'd built for his little kids. And 
He's like, that's the most important thing. And then go away for a year, go away. Like it's fine and come back. And his, just the whole thing just sat with me in a way that was like, it gave me permission essentially. Not that I needed permission, but it gave me permission and whatever I needed to just calm me down and say, it's going to be fine. And I need to go do this. If not now, when anyway, and if I want to come back or whatever I'm going to do, it's going to be fine. And that was when we met because I reached out to you privately and people, see, people don't know this, especially I think guys, I know it for a fact because, or this for a fact is that they think that all the women are in competition with each other, (laughs) or at least that I'm in, I'm not in competition with anybody. I could give a crap. So what I did was I had seen something. It was some rant that you made publicly because, and it was on Facebook because Instagram didn't, and it was, you'd written I think you'd probably written something. I didn't know who you were before that. As a matter of fact, you didn't know who I was either. Maybe, I don't know, but I reached out to you privately, didn't make a big to do about it and wrote you a note to just say, there's always going to be people who are doubters or haters or whatever. Keep doing what you're doing because the further you go, the more it helps the sport, regardless for women and for men, whatever, just keep your head down or your chin up and keep going. And let that stuff fall by the wayside. And over time, you're going to get a thicker skin and whatever, but that's never going to fully stop anyway. So it can't rule you and keep going. It was something to that effect. Yeah. 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 And, um, that is how we first met. So it wasn't like, Oh yeah, she's my competition. I remember, no, I remember this exchange. I don't remember word for word, but no, I remember it was the something to that effect of it, the exchange. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I remember having a, a thin, I don't want to say a thin skin, but definitely compared to now, it bothered me and I couldn't bite my tongue. Like I have a big mouth. Mm -hmm. I cannot bite my tongue. And I didn't have the outlet of that many articles or I had a blog, but I just, I didn't have the show. I I didn't have the outlet to be able to speak my mind and I was being judged as a Mm -hmm. book, you know, being judged as a cover shot. And it was really hard at first. So I needed somebody to be like, you know, Dude, you're th- just let your skin thicken up. It'll be good for you. Yeah. And keep going. It was like, I saw you as I knew I was stepping out for a while, like tapping out. I had to, that was the point in time where it was. And, and as I'm like, I was still going full steam ahead by the time the twins were five months old and I thought I was going to die. I literally was like, I'm going to die because I'm working and I'm taking care of them. I'm doing all this and something's got to give and it can't be the kids. It's not going to be the kids. That was my choice. I fight with this all the time. I knew I needed to have kids because for a long time there I was thinking, maybe I don't need kids. I'm going to pour all of this love. The problem was I was having so much love that I just wanted to share it Mm. with somebody. And I started to share it with the fly fishing industry, which sounds crazy because all of these guys who have no use for me are like, Mm. really, you're sharing it with us? We don't want it. Mm. And I poured it into my writing and I poured it into my television series. I poured it into this podcast. I poured it into volunteering and mentoring, but it, it didn't really come back. It came back at me and I've got a lot of fantastic support. But at the end of the day, I had to look at it and be like, a lot of these people really like they value me, but they don't really care about me. And I want to put my love into somebody who really needs it and can really use it. And the only option is, it was, is children for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, you come at it at whatever way. And I totally understand what you're saying. It's like, it's not that this is a thankless thing or whatever. I feel, I know that I've made an impact. And what's interesting is that I don't walk around and beat my chest about that. That's not it at all. It's just, I know that, 
because of what things look like in the landscape looks like now, I know that I made an impact and I don't need other people to know that or think that I know what it was like, what I've learned in this last little bit, because we haven't gotten to where I, what I'm doing right now, but longevity matters and not just age, but sticking to something and having a history in it. And so, yes, there are people who have no clue who I am. There are plenty of people who do. And there are people who come up to me that remember me from my show and various magazine covers and things, because at that time, media wasn't social media. It was media. It was TV. It was magazines. It's calendars. I mean, it's still in all that stuff. Those are things that at that time were very impactful So there's this whole wave of people who I don't even know who knew me, but now I'm learning because they're like, ah, you're back. Okay. But there's a whole segment of the population that has no idea who I am and where I came from. So anyway, um, when I, Jerry's words, when I started to come back, I actually found out I was pregnant again. So I have my three boys and I always said about Hirsch and Jake, the twins, that I was going to have at least one guy. They're going to be my Sherpas and one guy will row me down the river. They both will. They're carrying my crap, you know, whatever. (laughs) Have Wyatt. Wyatt will probably be my fishing buddy for sure. Jake doesn't really like to hold fish, but he likes all this stuff, you know, whatever. But life is very funny. When I knew I was going to have to not be together with their dad, I knew that I was going to need to do something that was really lucrative and had a really big potential upside. And Alex Maslov had been trying to get me to do something with NFC, with North Fork Composites and Edge for for a little while. He'd asked me um, in, I don't know, 2014 or something like, what can I do to just get you to fish edge rods? And I was like, uh, yeah, you're gonna have to make fly rods. So before we start going into your involvement with edge, can you just give us a little bit of history on the company itself? Uh, yeah. So we are based in Woodland, Washington and North Fork Composites was started in 2009. And actually I might as well just say this because I don't, I don't talk about this a lot because I didn't get my job because of my dad again. But Gary Loomis has been a really good family friend of ours for a very long time. We actually met him as a family by donating some um, trips to one of his conservation uh, fish first. Oh, okay. His conservation efforts and, and organizations. And that was years and years ago. He and General Yeager came down and fished our properties. And that was one of the times that John Barrett that we talked about before had come down and film when General Yeager was down there. And anyway, long story short, since Gary had left G. Loomis so long ago. When did he leave Loomis? The nineties. Well, in 2002, but he had sold to them in um, 92. And if you haven't heard Gary Loomis's podcast, you must. It's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. It's long. You can split it up into two pieces, but I I couldn't cut any more of it out because it's so a lot of history. It's a lot of history. And, um, my dad helped him start North Fork Composites in 2009. Oh, okay. Okay. In 09. Yeah. I had nothing to do with the company until recently, and that was on my own verition. At that time, the company was making and building blanks. Gary was designing blanks and selling blanks. Uh, we can to, to a lot of quite well-known rod companies. I mean, Gary has literally designed and provided blanks and designs to pretty much any company, almost, almost any fishing. And I'm not keeping that as just fly fishing. That's almost any fishing company. If you have or find or see a, something that says made in USA, it's a, there's a high probability that we've rolled and made those those blanks. Doesn't mean we've made every single one of them, but there is a very high probability that that's from our factory. 97% of the fishing rods in the world are made overseas. Okay. And so again, 
for us, we do from start to finish our products in the, that factory from cutting the composite materials to rolling, to doing the whole deal. So and I've been in that factory. It's amazing. And the environment is amazing and all the women. And I mean, cause there's a lot of women who work a lot there. of women. That was eye opening. The first time I walked through that, I was like, wait a second. There's like, it's mostly women making this stuff. Yeah, like yeah. proud American woman yeah. and everyone's laughing and having a good time. I really enjoyed my time there. Thank you. So that was started in 2009. In 2010, Gary was asked to essentially build the first, what became edge rods. That's kind of how edge rods was born. He was, he was asked to build a herring, a very, very specific kind of rod that did not exist um, on the conventional side of things for a shootout that we had on the Columbia river or not we, but he at the time. Salmon Steelhead Journal was going to be started up by Pat Hoagland. Pat asked him to build this rod. Gary didn't want to, and he did. The rod won that shootout. It won as the best rod, blah, blah. And that's how it started. So it was for Salmon Steelhead rods, and it went on like that for a while. Alex Maslov came on and became the CEO a few years ago. Where did he come from? Mars. He's from a different planet. Mm -hmm. The guy could sell ice to an Eskimo. Yes. He, he, he was, he came, yeah, he's Moldovian, but he, he grew up in Vancouver, Washington. Just, I just want to make it clear that Nicole's like children cat. are not crying to her. It is a cat. Sorry. And no, don't be sorry. It's part of the That's show. I'm in your home. Yeah. I'm in your home. Um, so Alex actually came on at a certain time to see if the company was still viable. He was working at Microsoft. He was running all of Russia. He met the former CEO and Gary at that time years ago and Anyway, he became the CEO a few years ago and I came on almost two years ago. Had you that. been laying low in the industry up till this point? Very. Okay. Very. So I had Wyatt. He was born um, February 15th of 2014. And when we started creeping up towards his first birthday, I really knew I needed to do something again, like that was going to be lucrative. I didn't want to rev exclusive expeditions back up to where it had been and do all of that. Just, just everything. It just seemed like, um, you know, there's a funny thing for me, at least arranging awesome trips for people when I couldn't be taking them myself at a certain point became really annoying, just flat out annoying. <laughs> like sending all these people to these places. And I'm like, great. So there was that part, but also I just, I didn't want to be arranging travel for people for the rest of my life. That wasn't yeah. the deal. And the markets changed over mm. the years with the internet in that now suddenly everybody's a booking agent. Oh God. I mean, I remember writing up or hosting trips. Oh, oh, shoot me in the face. But I remember writing up a business plan that was based on being a booking agent. And Mm. I just, over the years, it's not a good business plan. And everyone's like, Oh, I mean, I cannot tell you how I'm totally taken over. I'm sorry. I cannot tell you how many people in general, I mean, mostly I get contacted by equal amounts of men as I do women who say, I want to do what you do and I want to host trips. And I'm going, okay, you realize that A, there's no money in that. B, you don't get to fish if you're a good host. Uh, C, as a woman, like I can't book a host trip. Married men are not allowed to go with me. Exactly. Once I got, once I got married, cause I always used to book divorced men, but after uh, I got married, divorced men don't want to go with me either. Mm-hmm. Women have a cap out. Typically it's hard to get a woman to spend over a certain amount of money, although that is changing. And everyone looks at you like the savior to couples marketing. They're like, oh, well, market couple. Get real. Uh-huh. And and then you factor in the crazy amount of people doing it. I just, it's not a lucrative business plan. I'm sorry. No. No. So it was probably time to just, and if you can't leave and it starts to hurt, 
it, I could see you looking at something else. Oh yeah. I mean, literally it was this, it was, I have three little boys. I have a brain, um, creativity, you know, whatever I got it. I, and this is my realm. I mean, I've been really fortunate. I can't say that things, you know, here. So I said, you know, I live a charmed life, but the thing is, is that charmed becomes charmed because of the different things that I've done. Um, the experiences that I've had, the opportunities that I seize, all of that stuff, the people that I meet, everything all adds up into one big equation. It's not by accident. It's on purpose. And I'm really open in terms of taking note and looking to see how things fit together and how I can place myself in situations as an opportunist and not in a negative sense of the way as if you want to be in the movies, probably going to LA is probably a good idea because you're in and around it all the time. If you're going to sit in, you know, North Dakota, probably not going to happen as easily for you. And so for me, I thought, you know, my, my realm is fishing and this whole deal and it doesn't have to stay fly fishing, but like that's my zone. So the easiest and most non-brainer, you know, thing is what can I do? And since Alex had been bugging me literally to be, we'd met one time before he'd come over to my folks house. My folks wanted me to meet him while his wife was pregnant, um, with their first baby. I met them. There was, it wasn't like, and we should do business together. It was just, I met him because whatever, I never had anything to do with edge or North Fork composites. My dad never said you should do something. Never. There was never any of that. It was myself saying, what am I going to do? You know, what avenues should I look at? All that stuff. And I literally reached out to Alex on my own. I didn't even tell my dad. I just reached out to Alex because he'd asked me, you know, what can I do to make you just fish at draws or whatever? So I reached out and, and I said, you know, let's just talk and see. So when I went down there, the actual discussion was theoretically going to be, maybe I would be a brand ambassador. Maybe I would help them do an apparel line. We didn't know. It was just kind of just talk. And I never really had one-on-one time with him. It was, you know, my folks house and with, it was just whatever. We were talking about their pregnancy for God's sakes. And here, you know, this about your birth and whatever. He handed me this marketing binder and said, tell me what you think about this. This was at the conference table that became my office and his office, essentially like in the conference room, I never even had an office and and he handed me this binder and he goes, tell me what you think about this. And I looked at it and I was like, what is this? And he, and I'm looking at this quote unquote marketing plan that they, that had been, you know, money spent with some guy that had worked with Gary sometime before. And I'm looking at it and I was like, wait, this, what is this? And he's like, this is the marketing plan that was, that was produced. And I'm like, this is crap. This is a nightmare. Was it outdated or was it? It was, it was two different slogans, essentially one for when Gary was alive and one for when he was dead, (laughs) which is an amazing way to build a foundation and a message for your brand. (laughs) I literally, I'm like, what is this? And he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. So we (laughs) said, We said, and this wasn't like I came from this supreme marketing background. It wasn't that I'd done everything I'd done for my company, everything. You know, there was a time when I was a grunt at, for Nantucket Nectar's juice when I was younger and I would set up little juice stands in, in grocery stores and check out the, the way the bottles lined up and make sure all everything was lined up how it should be. And I would tell you about the juice and how it was made and this and how you're supposed to open it and all that stuff. All of the things that I did lent themselves to 
exclusive expeditions and how I set up my booth at those trade shows, how I presented things, how I did things and all of those things. So I can say, I didn't go to school for marketing, but I do have certain aptitudes and there are things that I've done as jobs and experience that led me to doing what I'm doing with edge and North forks. So when I was down with Alex and we had that discussion, I mean, we just sat and I, I am by no means going to say that Alex and I are like Steve jobs and Steve Wozniak, but I can say it like this. I've not ever had another business partner for sure, but person who I've been able to feel like every single time I speak with them, I feel smarter after we talk. Our brains just somehow our brains work really, really well together. And we have very different aptitudes. We both like to earn money and be successful. Morals, important. And um, you don't get to bad mouth and smash around our company and still get to do business with us. We, we just have certain way we operate. And as I say, we have skin in the game and we want to be successful and there's no shame in wanting to be successful and winning. We love to win. What percent of volume is conventional with you guys? That is a harder question to say. It's most of it because fly is so small and fly is so small anyway in the whole big realm of fishing. When you first came down there to interview Gary, that was literally right after I started. And I was literally drinking from a fire hose for at least the first year plus. I mean, so much to learn and understand about our customers, but also just any and everything about what we, our capabilities were and where we could go, et cetera. I mean, we make antennas, we make a lot of things, but after having started and him wanting me to be a partner and really making this a big deal and all the while, like that place that I work is two and a half hours from where I live. And I have my three little kids up here and why it was just going to be one. Like there are sacrifices that I made and there are sacrifices. I understand my dad and working and traveling and doing what he did, how he made what he did for us as children and, and his wife and, and everything. But I made substantial sacrifice and I still do for that and to do what it is I do. I don't stand on anybody's shoulders to do what I do. I've had to learn and make and create my own position. I, it's not that I, I don't believe in reading lots of books about how and what people do, but at the end of the day, Alex and I always laugh because like I could read every book about how people did what, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to do it like they did it. I've never done it like other people have done it ever. And he hasn't either. And so can I say I'm a disruptor? Yeah, probably. But it's more that I go and I run off my instincts and all of that stuff to do what I do. And, and people show up in my life and talk to me about things they want or they need or whatever. And it happens in clusters. And when that happens, I know that that's the direction that I need to go and look. It's really, I function that way. And I, it may sound crazy or whatever, but the things that I do are from a lot of instinct. Um, I don't think it sounds crazy. I know. I really do believe that we get presented with opportunities and it's just a matter of whether or not we see them. Mm-hmm. And when all the arrows start to point in that direction and the path is clear mm-hmm. and the only thing holding you back is fear of the unknown, I really do believe that a lot of successful people just close their eyes and take the leap because they have faith. Correct. Yes. And I say faith is not jumping from point A to B. It's jumping from point A. Our envy fly rods that we did, our linen fly rods, that was an Alex and Nicole project. How did you guys come up with that technology? And can you explain it? 
I can't remember if it was the first time. I think it was the second time I came down to Woodland with Alex after he'd offered me the job. I came down and he showed me. He might have even showed it to me that first day. He had this piece of hardened linen. And he's like, I, I have this. I found this composite material. So we go to composite shows and we have, you know, we, we get exposed to a lot of stuff. And we get to look at things and think about it. And anybody can look at that stuff, but you have to think about what and how you can potentially use it. And so he showed me this thing and he's like, I found this composite material. It's flax fiber. What was it being used for before? Well, it's been made into guitars or bike frames. It's been made into sup boards. It's been, it's a proven material that you can use. It's the old, one of the oldest fibers in the world. One of the oldest fibers, just because something's old and it's whatever, like there's hemp, there's all these things, but how do you use it? Can you innovate with it? Can What can you make out of it? Can you make a tube? Can you make a fishing rod? Can you make a box? Can you make whatever? But we make tubes. We make tapered tubes and structurally sound tubes and the finest in the world. We can roll tubes like nobody else can with the machines that Gary's designed. We can press more oxygen out of them and make them tighter, more structurally sound and lighter. That's in a nutshell what we can do. So he showed me this material and he's like, it, I, it finishes like wood. And I was like, what? And he said, it finishes like this. It finishes like wood. Now this was a flat piece. This was not a tube he was showing me. And I'm like, we have to do something with that. I don't care. We have to do something because I'm thinking to myself, product and innovation and be different and do our own thing. That project was a couple of years in the making and we got a lot of pushback from pretty much everybody. Really? Because I hear great things about those rods. They're awesome. They are. But that doesn't mean we didn't get pushback. We what just kept the... pushing back against it, saying, no, we're doing it. What I'm was sorry. The, what was the argument? <laughs> what was the pushback argument? Uh, I don't know. Plenty of them. Okay. What's the point? I mean, <laughs> what's the point? You know, whatever. And again, at our company, one of the things that, that we, one of our mainstays and the things that we run by is we will never put out a product that is not improving upon something that already exists. Or isn't completely brand new because why put something out that's just in the, the myriad of like other stuff? You're well, just swimming with other things. Is the linen? Yeah, it's a blue ocean strategy. Have you read that yet? Mm-mm. I got to get it for you. Okay. Uh, the, with the rod though, with the linen rods, mm. w- what was different about them? Were they lighter, stronger? Mm. Yeah. So they're super light. Linen is a, a hollow fiber. It's very light and it's also really, it's strong. It, it, and it has a dampening effect. If you bend it far enough, like it'll keep that bend. It's not that it goes back exactly where it was. It will over time and you can kind of bend it back. But the thing that is so unique about it is that, you know, you, I know you love bamboo and, and all that. And people, you know, love the fiberglass action, the soft and smooth and slow. What these linen rods do is cast like traditional fiberglass, but recover like graphite. So you don't get the wobble wobble. I mean, see, I go super technical. You don't get the wobble on the front and the back cast. And let's face it, when you're fly fishing, the line is what's moving the rod. The line is loading the rod. So if you have a rod that's wobbling and the line is jiggling out the front and the back, see, I'm going super techno, but this is how I dumb things down for everybody is like, if you've got the energy of the line wiggling because the rod is wiggling, you're not going to get as good a cast. I think of our linen rods as the fact that we can have a slower cast. Now think of all the people who've learned to fly fish on graphite, who never understood how to super feel the front and the back cast. Because some graphite is so fast, you can't feel a rod loading. You can time it and you can do your best to time it. And, and you can do that pretty darn well. There is a difference between feeling 
that rod load and actually hit the back of your cast and then start moving it forward. There's the cat again. Um, (laughs) She wants to be famous. Um, There's a difference. Who's designing all your tapers? Um, We have Gary and Al Jackson. Kim designs too. It's a team effort. And he, we figured out how to use this material and create a new product with an entirely new action and try bringing a product onto the market that nobody's ever seen before. They've never been able to look at, touch, feel nothing. And we did a successful Kickstarter for it and sold blanks and rods and funded. Now, are you a shareholder in the company? I am. With our branding, I wanted this brand to resonate with kids who can't potentially, you know, at this moment buy a rod. They sure can wear a hat or shirt, wear use a decal, something where they could identify with this, educate them who Gary Loomis is and what it is and why it is we do what we do. Because Gary is why we have a company in terms of we are a new company, but we are of the old school. We have some of the oldest minds and innovators in the industry as part of this brand. Does that mean Gary does everything? Absolutely not. This is a very team effort sport that we do at our company. And Gary is instilling in all of us, the younger gen, and as is AJ and the older gen, of what it is and how it is they do what they do so that we can carry that on. That is literally what we do. So when they're gone, it's not like, oh, we're left holding the bag. It's we carry on. That's what we do and how we operate. And so have kids identify have them understand who Gary Loomis is and what our history is and, and why it is we do what we do, how we build and how, what that, what the importance of that is. And oh, by the way, we're made in the United States. Have it resonate with, you know, the, the main grouping or the main segment of the population that would buy our products. Let's say like 25 or 35 to 65, let's say. And depending on the, like where on the planet and where in the States or whatever that varies and have a brand that doesn't, I call them the white hairs or the gray hairs. It's like, doesn't leave them out because they're still buying product. A lot of those guys are retired or they're going to retire or they can afford our products. Our products are not inexpensive. I wanted something that everybody could relate to. That kid is going to be the longest longevity we've got so that by the time they're ready to buy, or maybe their dad will buy or their uncle or whatever, but by the time they're ready to buy, they've already bought into what it is we do and why they understand And, you know, the guys who know the Gary Loomis name know what he's all about and why. They like the old, old G. Loomis rods when he was designing. He hasn't designed for a very long time. But when people, people always ask us, are you going to do GLX again? Are you going to do IMX? And the thing is, is no, but what it is we build now for fly, that is what GLX was. But it's now with updated materials and components. Like it's the same idea behind how and why we build but it's what he never could build then because it's all new. I love it. How did the industry take you guys? I think they didn't take us very seriously at first, but I think that they're changing their minds. I always say to Alex, we can make the finest products in the world, but for a bunch of a-holes, who cares? And I think one of the cool things that sets our company in a different place and in a position, and I'm really proud of is the people you asked at the, or at the beginning of this was like, who, who's Nicole and people want to know who you are, or where I came from. And what I found really interesting and in so much is what my position is. And I just said, and I'm a female leading a brand that's in a very male dominated industry. And it's a very interesting position to be put in or have the opportunity to have. 
I've felt like, and what I realize in terms of social media and how it's propelled certain people and whatnot, I realized that I needed to use it. If you go on my Instagram account, which is ndarland, it's my life. I've been using social media, my own stuff, to just kind of reintroduce myself in a way that is very real. And recently just met totally my person, love of my life, who's in this industry as well, which is typically for me been a super thing that's been like, no, been married two times now and to people and have stayed very socially, you know, out of things, but met an incredible person in the steel. And I, I still plan to do really cool things here. And my, I mentioned that because family is really important to me and I feel like now is my time to be that in this industry, which is the mom and on I go and, um, and on you go. And it's been super honor to watch you do what you're doing. And, and I'm psyched that we got to sit down and finally say some of this stuff because I think there are a lot of preconceived notions or opinions and ideas that people have in their minds and lots of chitter chatter. And at the end of the day, I just do my deal. I keep my head down, my chin up, and I work my ass off. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Be sure to tune in next week as I sit down with Survivor Man, Les Stroud. Please don't forget to leave a review about Anchored online. <laughs>